afraid of Eva. Thanks. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Aviva, and I'm a compulsive reader. Uh, first, I wanted to say the last time I spoke here, somebody bombed the meeting, and I imitated them because they were from England, and I kind of cussed them out. So I want to say I'm sorry <laughs> um, because he thought he was being funny, and then I thought I was being funny, and I forgot that there are people in this meeting that have never been to an Overeaters Anonymous meeting, and they're going, what the heck is going on? So if today a bomber comes in, I'm going to take a breath and have acceptance of the situation, which isn't like me at all. Um, so my abstinent date is, I think it's February. I always, see the thing is, I always take my cake in March. My, I always take my candle in March and my abstinent date is in February. And I'll be coming up on seven years and I've maintained 120 pound weight loss for about five years. So five or four years. And for the last year, I haven't had a sponsor. And it's been very um, a unique journey not to have one. So where I come from is a lot of domestic violence with my parents, a lot of being bullied, a lot of um, just learning how to be a victim from a very early age, not feeling like I've been heard. Um, and it's interesting because they talk about, um, I go to another group and they talk about how the alcoholism is in the house and growing up drinking and I grew up with a compulsive overeating family and there was a lot of rage and a lot of denial and a lot of, um, just in my opinion, um, sadness in a way. Um, I love the acronym of binge because I'm not good enough. Um, because I, I grew up feeling like I was never good enough, and I was told this numerous times. Um, and you know what? The thing is is that when I um, was able to get abstinent and see my part in things, I was able to let go of some of that. So um, my mom would take us out. My mom put us on a diet when we were 10. I found out in my adulthood that when you're 9 to 11, you're supposed to be chunky, but um, in my house, it was a bad thing. I was a really skinny kid, and I saw pictures of me really young, and um, and then I just started eating. I would eat, um, I always share this, but I think it's interesting. People would eat on TV, and then I would start eating at home. I was a kid. I was watching TV off in the afternoon before dinner, and I would start eating, like, on a TV show. But the thing is, is, like, they would not really eat, and it was a set, and I was eating and gaining weight. Um, I was picked on a lot in school, um, and it was it was hard. It's still hard to let go of that self-loathing. It's it's hard not to believe that everyone was right, and um, and I was you know I must be ugly. Um, I I um, was just sharing that I didn't get jobs because I was told I was too ugly. My top weight is two fifty two. All right now I weigh about 135, 134, 133. Um, and I always thought if I had that number of 130, I would be okay. And I think it came from when I was like like 12 or something and a doctor was like, oh, she weighed this, you know. Um, I would go on a diet. I recently heard a woman share that her mom would try to bribe her with a new dress if she lost weight. And she said, and I loved what she said, I wanted the dress, but I couldn't stop eating. And um, I wanted 
to be thin, but I didn't want to be hungry. There was no dress. There was no, uh, there was nothing there for me there. But I wanted everything, but I couldn't stand being hungry. And so there was no way for me to um, stay on that diet, stay on that. Um, you know, I tried to fast one time and I passed out. Um, I was riding my bike and I passed out because I was trying to diet. My sister was a bulimic. My father was always dieting. My mother was always dieting. And um, they just always, it was just that perfect weight if we were thin, if we were thin, if we were thin. Um, and the ism was there, the victimism, the I, the self, the me-ism. Um, everything was always about me in the way that I felt. And that's not actually true in hindsight. Um, so then I'm 16 and I'm in high school. Um, by this time, I stopped bathing. Um, I was sharing with someone just recent, just like about an hour ago that I loved the character Pigpen because he could be filthy and have friends and no one would make fun of him. Um, but I just couldn't stand anything about me. So um, a woman approached me, a girl, a high school girl, and she approached me about Overeaters Anonymous. Um, she was very skinny. She, she was a ballerina. And we went to a meeting. And she had her Eskimo. I had an Eskimo that was a guy. And he's left the program. And I still talk to him about it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I wouldn't go back to being out. And you'll hear my story why. So I went to a few meetings. It, I couldn't, I didn't get it. I just didn't understand it. I read her a fourth step that was like seven, it was so long. My my uh, my mom, there was so many resentments against my mom um, and my dad and all these people and everything. But when it came down to my part, it didn't click. So the one thing that's amazing about the fourth step that I learned this time around, because I'm 55, but when I did the fourth step this time, I was able to actually see how amazing we can shift our perception when we're actually working the steps, how when we let God in, we can actually see a perception of our part in it, which shifts every aspect of what's going on. So I go um, social club, not really social club. Um, when I'm 20, I start going to Alcoholics Anonymous. And the reason I mention that is because I said to myself I wasn't a close overeater, and I stopped going to OA altogether. And, um, Again, it, you know, I had a sponsor, I, I was doing service, you know, all the things, but I was 20, 21, 22, but nothing shifted. And I remember sharing, because I gave away my punk albums, because of the punk rocker, that I had changed my personality. But in hindsight, no. You know, I did the best I could with, with the steps and, and the way it was presented and the willingness I had and the ability to take it all in. I had always prayed to God but it was, what am I going to get out of it? And why haven't you given me this? It was, um, if I do this, where's mine? If I do this, where's mine? Um, we did grow up in an atheist home because of the Holocaust. I'm Jewish. And so my father was like, there can't be a God because he wouldn't have let what happened happen. Um, but I thought it was Santa. You know, where is mine? And meanwhile, missing gift after gift after gift. Um, even though I was picked on in school, even though I was hit at home and dicked on at home, even though, you know, um, there was all of this emotional stuff, but there was abundance, abundance, abundance. And it's so hard when I'm in self-pity, selfish and self-seeking motives to actually see the abundance because I can't. And that's where the food comes in because the food feeds it. 
the food feeds it. Oh, you didn't get that. Oh, they got that. That character defect of more, 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 more. So um, after that, I met him in, when I was 24, um, homeless and abusive, Prince Charming. Um, and I left the program completely because I had him, and I always wanted him. And um, I went on my merry way, eating and eating and eating. Um, and I didn't go back to the program. I went to Al-Anon, um, and I mentioned this in my story because I always say, you know, I left the program, and I was not, but because I was with this man that I met in AA, I went to Al-Anon, and um, nine years after that, I um, I didn't stay in Al-Anon. I went in and out of Al-Anon, um, but I was able to leave him because he was abusive, and I had a kid, but still I was eating. So I'm still in all the old thinking. They're out to get me. Um, I'm great, you're not, the arrogance, the pride, the self-righteousness, which creeps in so easily even now, but I get to say to it, oh, there you are, hi, thank you, can I, can I have a, like, can, can I have, like, recovery now, please? Like I was telling someone on Friday, this is the crazy, and this is the recovery, and you can feel the difference. I feel the difference now because I work the steps, and that's why we redo the steps. Um, because it always can come back, and then if we're, if I'm willing to let go of all those defects of character that I hold on to, especially self-loathing, I can't grow and be of service to others. Um, so um, after nine years, so I'm raising my son in the food. What does that mean? A lot of raging, a lot of um, victimizing. I hear it from him all the time, my son, the way he talks. Um, and... And this voice in my head says to me in the middle of him, he's eight or nine or something, I should go back to LA. I should. And it says, why? You've destroyed his life. Why go back? Okay. Keep eating, keep eating, keep eating. Now, I'm a grazer. So a grazer for me is I never wanted to stop eating. And even today, I struggle with being hungry all the time. I'm hungry all the time. I don't know why. I really need a nutritionist. I don't know if it's a spiritual emptiness. When I get so hungry, I ask God to remove it, and it's gone. Higher power, where do you need me today? Higher power, where can I be today? Higher power, what do you need today? Where's my thinking supposed to be? Could you relieve me of the hunger today? Um, my food is really clean. Um, but on the other hand, um, turning to that spiritual force keeps me going every day to be of service, being outward instead of inward. So then, um, so my son's like 16, and I decide to get bariatric surgery because, again, if I was thin, everything would be okay. And I get the surgery, and I have a crush on someone, and he rejects me. And I said, and the doctor said, you're going to gain all your weight back because 90% of the people who have bariatric surgery do. And um, the big thing was the denial was broken when I couldn't eat anymore. And it was like, I can't eat over this. And that was when the denial was broken. That's when I got the gift of desperation. And I went to OA meeting. This is pre-COVID. I went to OA meeting. Nobody was there. I went to OA meeting. Nobody was there. I kept knocking on doors. No meeting. Nowhere. So up the street, there was an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. I do identify as an alcoholic, even though food is my favorite drug of choice. Um, and, then, and I just sat in the rooms and cried. And I just sat in the rooms and cried. And I went to meeting after meeting after meeting in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I finally found a sponsor in AA. And um, he moved out of state, and that's why I don't have a sponsor today. I still have this expectation of people. Um, so 
I do the steps, I'm working the steps, I'm being of service, and then in the midst of all this, um, of understanding the program finally, um, my job is threatened. And I had gone back to college in the food, um, I had uh, gotten my master's degree in the food, and uh, I, was, I was so, it was so crazy. Um, you know, no faith, no trust, nothing. It's all on me, and I can do it, and, and there's no faith. So right in the midst of the fourth step, I go under a supervisor who um, specifically got me fired. Um, where was my part in it? My arrogance? Um, I didn't know people thought, knew that you looked at them and thought that they knew you were stupid. Like, okay, I'm looking at you, I'm listening to you, but down deep, I know you're stupid. I didn't know supervisors could feel that. But this woman knew, um, thought, and I had no intention but God had a bigger plan, and um, I couldn't let this job go. And it's because I had such a small world in my thinking, because I'm black and white. Everything is now. Everything I have to do now, the new thing I'm trying to do as of today is we stop, we pause, we take one thing out of the purse slowly to find what we need instead of dumping the purse out and screaming at it like I used to when I was in the food. So... Um, I'm still working the steps, I'm still abstinent, I'm still sober, and I'm losing this job. And um, I'm doing everything to keep this job, and I'm trying to hold on to it so tightly, and I didn't get to keep that job. Um, psychics told me, I went to psychics, uh, you're not going to keep the job. And I will tell you, I had gone to attorney after attorney, and I finally said to God, please tell me what's going to happen to me with this job. And three attorneys said, you're not keeping your job, and we can't take your case right after I said that prayer. And it's because I, I always, in old thinking, there's never going to be anything better for me. There's never going to be anything good for me. It's always going to be this small, tiny world that I created without seeing the blessings, without seeing the, the savings amount that I had, without seeing the fact that you know, I was sober and abstinent, that without seeing the fact that my car worked, without seeing the fact that my son was healthy, these are all gifts. And doing the fourth step, working on five, yeah, admitting six, willing to do the amends, which again is a feeling of uncomfortableness that I don't like, um, and opening up to myself to other people. In fact, so in fact, during um, me trying to get a new job after I lost that one in the same field, I had to find somebody who would step up for me that wasn't in this area. And I called a woman, um, terrified, and she said, you know, you were blah, blah, blah. And I went, what? And I had no idea I had offended her. And I had no idea that I was rude. Gentle and reminder. Thank you. And I made amends to her immediately. And what I said to her was, you know, when I was working with you, I was pretty heavy set. And she said, yeah. And I told her about how I was in the food. And I said, I'm really sorry. I had no idea that I had offended you. How can I make it up? What do you need me to do? And she's like, well, you know, and I said, I don't think like that today. And I'm really sorry that I was so me, you know, the way we think when we're, you know, in the food. And um, she gave me a recommendation for that new job. So now I'm in the new job. I focus um, mostly on the new job with my program, with everything. One of the big things that I'm finding is, is that when I'm trying to run the show, I get really stressed out and overwhelmed. And I heard someone say recently 
that because I lived in such a heightened state when I was younger and I lived in such a heightened state that I turned to it. It says so that in eight pages 86 of 88, I believe, in the big book, you know, we try not to get agitated or, you know, indecisive. And, and um, sometimes I have to remind myself there is absolutely no reason to be having an anxiety attack right now. And it's that rush of the, agen of the adrenaline or it's that need to be wrong or it's that feeling that we're not enough. And there's nothing pointing me there. There's nothing pointing me there. And so um, I worked with the sponsor until about a year ago. I um, um, go to meetings every day. I left for that 16 years, um, and it brought me nothing. It brought me no peace. It didn't bring me any joy. Um, it brought me a lot of food. And then, um, and then being sin didn't fix it. And that's okay today because I still wish, you know, if this, if I did this, this would happen. But it's like when I'm able to, like, turn it over and let it go, I work with people. And I always have to remind myself they're not my people. And there was one day where I was so angry and so stressed out, and I finally begged my higher power to say, you do this. I can't. And I literally was crying, do this, I can't, do this, I can't. And they called and it was all taken care of. <laughs> and that's basically, you know, how it works sometimes. And, and you know, it's not always the passion prizes we hear. You know, it's not a, a life beyond our wildest dreams. It's, kind, it's kindness and understanding beyond our wildest dreams. And I couldn't have that before OA. I couldn't have that without being abstinent because you're going to get me because I was picked on when I was 12. And you're going to get me because I was hit as a kid. And when I walk into a room and I don't let God into that room, and I don't let my higher power be the voice for me, then I'm going to always go back to my disease because my disease is, is very powerful for me. And it makes sense when I'm in the food. It makes sense. I don't have the ability to, to breathe, to pause, to have kindness for others. And the thing is, is that everyone I work with has their own higher power, and I'm learning more and more, and I'll end with this, that everyone has their journey. And I told God, where do you need me to be of service to these people? And I ended up 75 freaking miles away. That's where I work. But you'd be surprised when I'm, like, God has a purpose for me to help these people. And it's not me. And you know what? I have a supervisor now that I kind of respect, that I'm giving the love and kindness to. And when I start going into old behavior of arrogance and self-righteousness, I always have to remind myself, she's worked here for 30 years. You've worked here for two. Why don't you listen to her? Why don't you give yourself a break? Just because she's not saying what you want to hear, why don't you learn from her and not get into the fear? And that's the thing. So please, if you've decided to come to OA because it's a new year, you can lose weight here, but it's more of a, of, a, of a love and of appreciation of your life that you can have. I still have low self-esteem. I still struggle with it on a daily basis, but I can see how other people, you know, I can see the change in me, and I can be kind to others, which is before I couldn't be. It was always, I'm going to be kind to you, you give me something. And now is I can be kind to you because what does God need today? What does my higher power need? And that's a blessing. It's a real blessing. So thank you for letting me share, and um, I hope everyone has a beautiful day. It's for our year. <laughs>